The following podcast contains uncensored coarse language. Listeners are advised that some of the following content may not be appropriate for those under 15 years of age. Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. This is just to let you know that the Cinema Catch-Up Club has an official Patreon page. If you'd like to become an official member of the club and get some bonus goodies, including early access material and bonus features only available to our patrons, then please join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, it's Oscar week! Etc. That's right, the Oscars are back in town, and so we're going back 12 months and watching the previous winner of the Best Picture Award, and that is Green Book. Joining me as always, we have someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, it's Tegan Mulvaney! Hi! How are you, Tegan? Yeah, I'm good, how are you? I'm fan dabby dozy. Tegan, <laughs> who are you and what do you do? Just, uh, just a reminder in case someone's not heard any of the episodes you've been on. Oh, okay. I'm me. Yes. I'm a happy-go-lucky champ. I'm an actor. You are an actor. And I do things like that. Yes, you yeah. do. There you go. Why did that stump me? That's the 22nd time you've asked me that question. And I was like, I don't think I wasn't expecting you to ask it because sometimes I, I expect you to ask it and you don't. And I'm like, why didn't you ask me? That's mm. not fair. It's, it's, so, this is how we have our fun now, folks. When, when we've done this many podcasts, it's a game of, of, uh, will he, won't he? Yeah. Who you are, chicken. <laughs> yeah. 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 We are the moonlighting of the podcasting world. Uh, Tegan, um, Green Book. Yes. You've not seen it. No. What do you know about it? Uh, it's probably got a book in it. Mm-hmm. Um, some color to the book, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, I I'm very intrigued to see it. I've heard interesting things about this film mm-hmm. about maybe a bit of white splaining black history in America. I don't know if that's a thing or not, but I've heard that that's what made it controversial when it won. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it. Okay, so that's all you know, is that there really, may, yeah. may be some controversy and that there is some uh, uh, sort of racial topics. Yeah, and it's got Vigo in it. Vigo. Vigo. He is Vigo. I watch Ghostbusters 2 on New Year's Eve, so ah, he is Vigo is in my head. See, I know, I know that from um, the extra features on Lord of the Rings. Vigo, <laughs> if the boat tips over, <laughs> save yourself. I can't swim. That was Viggo Mortensen doing um, an impression of, uh, what's his name? Deep Roy. Deep Roy. Yeah. Who plays the small version of the, the scale double of Gimli. That's so funny. Um, yeah. I just remember him doing that impression. <laughs> it's stuck in my mind. Ladies and gentlemen, you might detect a new voice. Uh, this is someone who's never been on the program before, and already he's done an impression of Deep Roy, so we love him. Uh, it's Robert Woods. How are you, Robert? <laughs> I'm about a seven. About a seven. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Robert, um, for the folks at home who don't know who you are, who are you, Robert Woods, and what do you do? I am a big movie lover, and mm-hmm. I edit videos for a living. How many films do you watch in a year, Robert? Usually over 500. Mm-hmm. 
and he's not bluffing. Nope. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Woods is maybe the person who loves films the most in the world. You document them. Where do you doc? I, I do. I have a database, um, and I also have a Letterboxd account now. Um, so I keep track of them all since 2008. Mm-hmm. Jeez. I've watched over 6,000 something films since then. <laughs> and Green Book was one of them. Green Book was one of them. And in a sort of vague, non spoilery sort of way, uh, what can Tegan expect from, from Green Book? An odd couple road trip. Ah, oh, that sounds nice. That does sound nice. With Vigo. Vigo, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's got yes. Ara- Aragon and Future Blade, which is the main thing I'm looking forward to. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't seen the film. I'm, I'm expecting kind of much the same as what um, Tegan was saying as well. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to those things. Uh, Robert, did, does your letterbox account have a specific name uh, that people can look up if they want to see your, your 6,000 reviews? Um, I believe it's Woods Row. An art, just R-O? R-O. Okay. Yep. Excellent. Rudd's won't ring. Find films that Rob hasn't seen because it's fun. Mm. There are many. There are so many thousands. I've found one, but then you watched it, so you have seen it. <laughs> it gets increasingly harder as, as yeah, the years go on. I, if someone recommends me a film, I will do my darndest to watch it. So. I'm beginning to gather that. Um, before we go to the, to the break then, Robert, I, just, I do just want to ask... What's with the voracious film appetite? Why, why are you watching so many films? Oh, I just love films so much. I don't know. Um, it's my media of choice. Um, I've always had more of a visual memory than, um, than like anything else. So, I yeah, seeing things visually is something that my brain likes. All right. Well, should we see Green Book visually? Shall we watch it? Um, I I would say it would be more interesting probably than reading the book. The actual Green Book? The, the actual book green, book. green Book, yes. Okay. Yes. Though if you're expecting an adaptation of the actual Green Book, you will be sorely disappointed by ah, this film. That's interesting. That is interesting. Well, I think it's time for us to watch the film. So for those of you listening at home, pop in your DVDs and prepare to eat a lot of Italian food as we watch Green Book. And welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching Green Book. And by we, I of course mean uh, Mr. Robert Woods. Hello. And Tegan Mulvaney. Hello. Uh, Tegan, um, Green Book. Yeah. What What do you think? Uh, it's it's a pretty film. It's mm-hmm. really nicely, beautifully acted. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's, <laughs> I'm really struggling because... As a white person, nothing mm-hmm. personally offended me in it, but I can see how offensive the film is. It, you know what I mean yeah. by that? Like, I'm not. I go, oh, they're glazing over a lot of horrific stuff. Mm. It did feel quite light in terms of like. Yes. In terms of the. How do you do a feel-good film about the horrific brutality of, like? Racism in the South, and and you know what? I did feel good at parts of it. That's the problem. Yeah, so it, I know, it works. It. But like, I'm like, I, watching it, I was just going like, I was expecting heavier anvils to drop, like yeah. on me as I was watching it. I was expecting like when the bar fight came up, I'm like, okay, now yeah. we're gonna start getting like, into it. Um, just and- dumb Southerners. It's all just, mm. I, I like. 
written by a white person. That's where you can tell. It's a white... It is, isn't it? I'm pretty... The screenplay is... It's written is. by his son. Who's... Oh, that's right. Um, The... Tony Lip. Tony Lip's son. Tony Lip's son. Yes, mm-hmm. I yeah. saw that. Yeah. If that was made by African Americans, mm. I think it might be more intriguing. There might be more to learn from it. Yeah. Mm. It th- seemed like Tony Lip was the hard done by one... I didn't know whether... I'm just confused because mm. I don't know what the lesson is and I don't know what the meaning is. See, for me, away from the the race stuff, which is a funny thing to say about a film, which is about race relations. But to me, it just felt like I was watching this very much with the mind frame of this one best picture. Yeah. And but I watch it go, I'm sorry, I cut you out. No, no, that's you all talk, good. You talk. And that's okay, you've got points. And I'm, I'm, yes, that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> but my watching it for a best picture thing, I was watching it going, this feels quite safe. In, yeah. a, in a lot of respects. And I don't know if you'd agree, Robert. It just it just felt as though... This almost feels like a paint-by-numbers... This is a film that's been made to try and win an award. Really? Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm not... I, I'm not sure if, if I feel like it was made to win an award, although I wouldn't put it past Pete Farrelly after years of doing comedy with his brother mm. wanting to break away and do something different it is mm. him isn't it is the farrelly brothers it's yes. the dumb and dumber it there's is. something about mary yep mm. yes it's him it's his it's his which is why the comedy debut. lands so beautiful there's so much comedy in it that lands perfectly mm. um i often feel the majority of best picture nominees mm. i find to be good films mm. like mm. average all right Fine, like they're not bad films. They're mm. well made. They're yeah. well put together, but they're never my favorite films of the year. This mm. is a film where the Academy can give it best film to pat themselves on the back. This is an Academy well, that is inherently racist. We know that from. <laughs> we just know that from history, yeah, and unknowingly, you know, it's unknowingly probably they probably think of themselves as quite woke. But they're not because they're old men. And then this film looks at racism in a safe way so they can go, let's give the film about racism that makes us feel happy (laughs) the best film and everyone's happy because we've shown you that we can talk about racism. Mm. You know what I mean? I I would take issue with a couple of things there. Okay. Just because the way that I understand the voting system works. And I think this is a big part in why it won Best Picture is that it's a preferential voting system. Mm. And I think the nominees that particular year, uh, my favourite films were Roma and The Favourite, which mm-hmm. were two, I think, brilliant films. Yeah, fam- I haven't seen it, but Favourite was incredible. However, they're also incredibly divisive films. Mm. And so if... If 50% voted for the favourite and 50% voted for Roma, but everyone voted for Green Book as number two, mm. I get then you. that wins. I get you. This, so, this it's the common like common denominator film. They're the films that are now winning Best Picture. Right. The ones that are generally the safer bets. Mm. Yeah. The and less risk-taking ones. Like, content-wise, I think it's divisive. I'm not going to deny that that it was a beautiful film to like the it way is. it looks. The it performances is. It's, are it's, incredible. Mm. It's a perfectly enjoyable film, yeah. and 
this is a problem I have with um, the backlash from awards ceremonies. And I know you disagree very strongly with me on <laughs> La La Land. I, Don't I, even mention it. So, that, but that's another film. Um, and I'm going to say Moonlight as well. Um, mm. They were all films that I saw um, be- way before the Oscar trail had started. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were fine films. They were okay. They had problems. They had things I didn't like about them. They had La things La I liked about has, them. I think La La Land has content problems. It also has performance problems. It has directing problems. It has <laughs> issues with being called a musical. Oh, yeah. It is a wank fest of utter shite. So by comparison, Green Book is a pretty brilliant, good, a pretty good win. But I, I haven't seen Moonlight, and I want to ask: as far as like content, mm. is that more a like? Is there more? Is that not as feel good? I thought that was quite meant to be quite a harrowing film. Okay, I I, I feel like um my take on it is is different okay. to the the mainstream. Okay. So I I just don't really care about those kinds of dramas. Fair enough. Those those in depth character dramas I struggle with. Mm-hmm. Something like Green Book is a an easy watch. It reminds mm. me a lot of like The Help. It's like look, we can touch on issues about this. Just uh, it makes us, as white people, feel better to know that we know about them. Yeah. Um, without having to deal with the actual harrowing, yeah. um, idea of living through it. Mm. Um, and it lets us experience it, think about it, and then go on with our lives without being too traumatized. But that's why I don't know what it's trying to say. Like I, I und- I think that's absolutely perfect to describe. Like. When you talk about white splaining and you know mm. feeling better about yes we know these these things existed oh isn't it terrible let's all get over it mm. sort of thing but what was that film trying to say it's essentially like a racism road trip it's like a preju- yeah but is it's it reverse prejudice- racism like when you, there's yeah. the, it's like what did who's learning the lesson here well I don't know that it's necessarily there's much lesson being learned it is essentially a contiki tour to prejudice town like you you get to explore it. <laughs> As, like, speaking as three white people here, yeah. we get to watch it and we go, oh, that's right, coloured bathrooms were a thing that they couldn't eat in the same restaurants because that's not our lived experience. And I feel as though Green Book, as quite a lot of films that are like this do, they just touch on it because the ideas are quite harrowing, but at the same time they're trying to be... This is trying to be entertaining. It has, you know, a Farrelly brother directing it, even though he is attempting to do something that is more serious. This film, its whole framing is is not necessarily about the racism. is It is about the friendship between this odd couple. It it is it, the odd yes. couple tackles racism. Basically, I get, I know that. I I think I just struggle with mm. with whitewashing, pun intended, mm. history. There's there's a podcast I listened to once, and it's this. It was like. St- screaming out to me while I was watching this and it's about um the history the museum of black history in Boston mm. and it's they've it's a wax museum so they've got um like wax works of the slave ships they've got wax works of um everything and it's brutal like mm. there's without going into detail there is um, when you go down to the last floor, I, and I really want to go there, not for any macabre reason, but again, I, it's 
because of what the lady who runs the place says. So when you go down into the, the bottom floors, they have wax models of real people who were um, attacked, who were drawn and quartered, who mm. were... Um, there was a woman who had her baby cut out and had they put two they sewed two cats into her belly and bet money onto which one would break out first. Like these are things that actually happen. They're all documented. Mm. And when they and people are irate about this because people go to this museum and kids are made to go to this museum and people are like, Well, why would you show stuff that's so brutal? Like that's disgusting. How dare you? And the woman, her argument is this actually happened. All we're doing is showing actual, as close as we can get to reality as to what actually happened because it's so hard for our minds to understand, that, to, to kind of put a, put a picture to that. Mm. You know, it sounds like a horror movie, mm. but it's real. And so I, that scream was screaming out to me when, this was, when I was watching this because it's like, I don't think we should pat ourselves on the back and, you know, mm. and... and comfortably watch films about that content because Mm. we need to learn from that and we keep you know racism is continually going to be a problem because there's no acknowledgement of the past or some slight acknowledgement of it without without us actually realizing how bloody bad it was Mm. i think that's that's absolutely all valid and agreeable Mm. but i also have a feeling that that probably wasn't the goal of of this particular film. I, 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 yes, yeah. absolutely. I totally agree. And particularly because yeah. it's written by Tony Lip's son. Yeah. I totally understand that. I think it's something that needs to be acknowledged, though, yeah. in, in film. Uh, have a- you seen... Uh, I promise this isn't off topic. <laughs> <laughs> just, just go with me on this. Have you seen the live-action Disney remake of Lady and the Tramp? No. Okay. Because that is a film that is set in, I don't know, like 1800s America. Mm. But in in the new woke Disney World um, version of the events, the lady is owned by a happily married mixed race couple. And the town is populated by Hispanic and... Um, and African American mm. and Caucasian people all dressed hoity toity up to the nines, um, with their parasols and pinafores and um all getting along just fine. Like like there was never anything bad that ever happened. So <laughs> and the, is that the, but is that more and I like a because we've got to push towards colorblind casting now. Is that I I don't know if so I see that in a this different is, Yeah, so idea. Th- this is this is the question that it that arose from it was that is it good that they're doing this or is it bad that kids are going to watch this and think that's what the past was like? I think if kids are getting their historical information from a Lady in the Tramp film, that is a problem in itself. But I also understand the point that that is certainly an issue. And I think it's, it's, it is a wider issue that I think we learn through making the films and through how audiences respond to it. And I think it's one thing to do that sort of thing in a film which is about two dogs eating spaghetti. Mm. I think it's another thing to do it on a film where even though you could argue this is odd couple getting to know each other, two people from different worlds 
the reason they're from different worlds is because of the race. And mm. I think this film, you know, ultimately it's it's not particularly ambitious, which I think is perhaps a little surprising for something that did receive the Best Picture Award. But as you say, they sometimes do end up being sort of the third, the bronze medalist in everyone's yeah. <laughs> in everyone's list. Um, Steve Bradbury-ing it, basically. Um, <laughs> but I feel as though... I feel as though that lack of ambition is maybe what it's being... Um, is what it's being kind of, I guess, punished for. Mm. I can't think of a better word than that. Now, I... If this but, film was made in 1995... Yeah. We probably wouldn't be having this conversation. I have a feeling if this film was released in the middle of the year, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Mm. How do you mean? If this film didn't come out towards the end of the year at the Oscar races, mm. um, with um, the lead actor coming off a win from um, Best Actor last year. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if it would have been even, like, if it came out at the start of the year. Mm. I think it would have had the same critique, but swept, kind of, like, swept away. I don't think it would have... So, a film that came out this week in Australian cinemas is Just Mercy. Okay. Um, And that... That's a film about um, incarceration of African-Americans. And you look at that film and everything that I see um, from trailers and reviews looks to me like that could be an Oscar bait film. Jamie Foxx giving an amazing performance. Mm. Um, The the content content, of The making, the actual film itself is really well made. Um. However, it's released now and no one's going to be talking about it at the end of the year, I don't think, in regards to winning an Oscar hmm. in 2021. So Because it's, it's too far back from the award cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do feel as though we've managed to go impressively far into the podcast without actually really talking about the film. <laughs> um, but, but I also think it is quite important to, to discuss this because there are people... Who feel as though um, it 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 didn't do something that just is needs to challenge well. you, as, yeah. particularly as a white audience member. I think it's. I think. I don't think you should. It, it's 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 a matter of who's a, who's allowed to tell those stories. Mm. Like if you haven't experienced that, are you allowed to tell that story? I mean, that's still the. That's still a generation that understands that racism. You know, there's still mm. people alive who've had that dinner table conversation, who've experienced that stuff. You know, they might not have experienced it, but their parents have and the, or their grandparents have. So it's still intergenerational in there. There's still, you know, maybe not, maybe not slavery, but those things that lived mm. around slavery, you know, like being, being servants, not being allowed to sit and stay, you know, and live and eat in, in places with white people. Mm. It's and it's a project that's written by a guy that wanted to write about his father and yeah. this this relationship this that he grew up with his seeing well, yeah, with his dad. True. Yeah, I mean that's that's what he wanted. That's what he wanted to write about. Yeah, and he actually 
recorded interviews with him um, to try and get his side of the story, and they've they use those tapes as um, as records to yeah. try and build the story out. Mm. That's so, maybe that's the point because it is. I'm trying. It, it's his. It's experience. so it's his story about his father. Mm. Maybe you should. But just... the but you, you can't tell it without. It would probably be more disrespectful to like leave out. Oh, totally. Yeah. Do you know but, the part that I? Yeah, maybe that's it. I, the part that I found most interesting in um, in Doc, the Doc Shirley character was when he had that, you know, when they're out in the rain and he was talking about displacement, about mm. he's not man enough, he's not black enough, he's not white enough. So he's just him. Like, maybe that's, you know, with some input from other people from mm. African-American people um, that could have been something to explore mm. because I think that's, that was a huge moment that was kind of just dismissed. <laughs> it was a huge part of his character. It, it felt like it was the moment that you're sort of waiting for in this sort of film. Mm. Like it's mm. like the, the crisis of identity coming around about the end of the second act. Um, and it came along and it was like tick. And I, I agree. I think it moved on very quickly from that because it was like, cool, we, we addressed this. Great. Can we yeah. get back to the funny guy who eats a pizza folded in half and, uh, oh, learning to become a slightly less terrible person, I guess. And the jumps where we get to the, if we look at the movie now, how does he jump from throwing the glasses that the workers drink from in the bin to being like, eh, it's fine. And then like a day later, he's in... Where is he? Louisiana, and he's playing games with the, you know, the black servants out the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's all happy-go-lucky about it. I'm like, how do you? You threw the glasses out. Mm. So I feel like he threw the threw the glasses out because of because overhearing of pop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think they he, sold that very yeah, well, though. No. I think they <laughs> made him out to be a racist. Uh, yeah. And then. All of a sudden, he's not because it doesn't. If he's too run, racist. It there's flow. no way he would have taken the job exactly. in the first place, and yeah. the film yeah. wouldn't have worked. <laughs> it did read as though this was a production team going. How do we show that he's not entirely comfortable with black people, but in a way that is only a bit racist? Oh, put the glasses in the bin, and then have his wife go. Oh, that husband of mine, yeah. essentially, um, which again feels tonally off. Um, yeah. I, th- I think, but you can tell it's written by an Italian because the Italian scenes were fantastic. They were like mm. beautiful. Having yeah. having grown up with Sicilians, mm. <laughs> this little white Irish girl, but gro- did actually grow up with lots of Sicilians. Yeah, that was so familiar. Mm. <laughs> that was so. Lovely. I mean, we, we should talk about the performances of our lead too. Of um, first of all, let's start with Vigo Mortensen because he he is Vigo, Vigo, um, Vigo. As, as Tony Lip because he is. The, the character through whom we are introduced to the world, and we're introduced to um, Doctor Shirley as well, um, Viggo Mortensen. I, ninety percent of the time, I'm looking at him and going, "You're an incredible actor," and then there's just this little like ten percent of little things that he does where I go, "That seemed off, but okay." And I this this performance kind of encapsulated that. Where really, yeah, what bits? Just there's just like. It's small gestures and small bits where I go from going, that's Tony, to going, that's Vigo. 
and I, I don't know what it is. It's just the, the he. So had, when he shows his tiny teeth, when he smiles, and he's got tiny. Might teeth. be. I think it was at times he was talking out of one side of his mouth in the car, and he was going ah, don't work. Like it was all. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it was partly just little things like that. I mean, the the physicality of the performance though is brilliant, and that's kind of what you expect from Vigo. Certainly Morrison. ate a lot. Yeah, yeah, and he he packed like, on the pants, and I love the way he looks though. But he's he like so he's str- eating on camera, like you know they didn't just do one take of that, and no. he's constantly eating yeah. the entire time. And I like the fact there was a hot dog competition eating very early in the film, just to establish this guy eats a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's he, but yeah, Tony Lip is. It's interesting because Tony almost feels like a stereotype. To an extent, but there, but there, but then there is also the fact that if it was written by his son, there's a chance that even if it's an idealized version, that might be what Tony was like. This, I, so I wrote a play once at uni, at high school, not uni, at mm. high school, about sitting at an Italian table, Italian nonna's table, and eating spaghetti, mm-hmm. and I got accused of being racist by my teacher because yeah. it was that it was. And I got so angry because I was actually writing about life experiences. And again, being a little white freckled, yeah, you know, Irish, they don't, you know, she didn't know that we grew up with Sicilians. And I had to fight so hard to for her to take that hmm. <laughs> back because I was like, this is this is what I grew up with. Hmm. That he, I, there was the one part I quite enjoyed when they were talking about stereotypes is when he said, you know. You think we all eat pasta and pizza, and it's like, well, yeah, they, that's what they, it was. Spaghetti night was was mm. our night, and everyone would eat spaghetti and yell at each other across the table. Yeah, lots of hand gestures, lots of you know, half Italian, half English. It was good fun. It was, but that's why it felt the most real. It was kind of maybe felt stereo. I just it felt it felt re- like it felt more real. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know. It absolutely makes sense. Would you uh, concur with that, Robert? Um, I haven't grown up with Italians, but uh, yes, it, it seemed authentic to me. Mm. I, th- I think, well, I think uh, one of the great successes of, of the film is the the dialogue writing mm. in general, the conversations. Mm. Yeah. Um, they're, they're deceptively... Simple, but um, they've packed a lot into a very short amount of time in each conversation. And each conversation that they have, the two leads together, um, is uh, makes a, a very specific point. Mm. Um, touches on theme or character or pushing a story point forward in their relationship together mm. a little bit. And then moves on um very efficiently. Yeah. And that's something that I appreciate. A little heavy handed at times. Oh, for sure. Was it? Like when in 1956, six years ago, in 1956, <laughs> when Nat King called him here. <laughs> like, it was that one. I was like, oh my God. Mm. Are we going to, yeah. But I, I did find the, the conversations, everything quite engaging. I quite like the, I, I like stories where people learn to help each other and i did enjoy how they were doing that through things like the letter writing for example um and then also as tony is learning more and more 
hang on a second, racism's bad. As he's as he's getting further down that particular line, mm. I did enjoy those scenes where he was helping him out in very unhelpful ways, mostly by beating people up, but like that the the in the intent was there. And I enjoyed seeing that explored. But I also like the fact that there was that scene in the jail cell with Dr. Shirley calling him out and saying, you can't just hit your problems away. And I thought that, again, it feels like that's something that's been covered in quite a few films, but I felt that in this film, that particular scene worked, for me at least, where I, f- I found that quite, quite good. Mm. But you saw it coming. Did you oh, yeah, see yeah. It coming? Like, I... I, I... Well, Look, the, pro- it, it the thing was very like, basic beats of a, it of does. a road trip movie. Even the letter, it's like, oh, of course, that's what they're going to do because that's what they do in every film. Of course, he's going to be driving the car at the end. Cause Make no mistake, this this, this place is, for the cheap seats. Yeah, at, at the back. Uh, this is a film you could take your grandmas to. This is a f- film that is made for mass consumption to be enjoyable on mm. but it's the most base level stuff that's. Well, I can't. I don't know. It's ups- the more I'm talking about, it, the more it's upsetting me. Mm. Would it be worse though if it wasn't made at all and the story, the grandmas and the the people in the cheap seats at the back just don't even ever think about it? I think it shouldn't have been made. I don't think it should have. Like I, thinking of that, I'd rather. What like I don't know what I'd rather. What's better? Going, I'm sorry, I know I'm getting very stuck <laughs> on this point. What is better though? People patting themselves on their back for going to see a movie about racism that really doesn't do much for the topic mm-hmm. or sitting quietly and being closetly racist. Closetly is a word now. It is. Um, and being, I mean, closet racists. What's uh, worse? Because I think being I'm, a, st- I'm struggling with that one. I would say being a closet racist is is worse. I think that self improvement is always important. Even I don't it, think it's I think it's self validation, okay. not self improvement. Okay, that, that's a fair point. But I think there is more of an opportunity for someone to potentially watch this and get a sense of going, huh, racism might be bad. It won't, it probably won't happen to a huge amount of people. But I prefer that than those people just sitting there and being closetly racist. But that's because you're a very smart person who's very open to, uh, who's not racist. That's going on my, all my reviews now. A very smart person who is not (laughs) Not racist. (laughs) But what about those times in the film Mm. when Viggo Mortensen's character, Mm. Viggo Mortensen in real life as well, Mm. um, N-bombing, but um, when he says... Who's more black, me or you? And when he says, you're being prejudiced now, you're being, you're mm. being racist. Because I don't think they set up why they were saying it in the film. They didn't. Mm. So someone who's ready to self-validate when they watch this film is going to hear that and go, yeah, see, racism exists on both sides, which is crap. Mm. No, that, that- White people don't experience racism. If you look at what it, what the word means, literally in a dictionary, it's the oppression of, from, you know, one, basically oppression of whites over other, yeah. other races. So we don't experience it. We don't experience it. We might experience a bit of prejudice. We might experience a bit of hatred mm. and backlash, 
but we don't experience racism with a capital R. Certainly not the way that we all understand racism yes. to be. Um, yes. And I'm so like- when this film says that, and you've got a very stereotypical character, you mm. know, you've got a very, you've, you've got this very much Italian-American character who is also on the receiving end of prejudice. Mm-hmm. That's where I go, I don't know what this message is because mm. it doesn't do enough other than let's let's pat ourselves on the back for being white and woke. Yeah. And I, I wonder, I, I always think if this film was never an awards contender, was mm. never nominated, was never considered for an award, mm-hmm. um, would it have had so much written about it would it have so many think pieces about it would it would it be causing so much distress because it's been put up on a pedestal mm. um, I think that's caused more distress I think a film that's why I said if it was made in 1995 I think it would have done that and just slipped it would have been like a forest many, gum many people say this this film is just driving Miss Daisy with yeah, roles reverse totally. which also won best picture mm. um, and quite controversially it was mm. like another film that that year of films that was like the least likely to win best picture, but mm. it, it did for some reason. I, I I guess I like a film that comes to mind is Shape of Water, which was the you know previous year previous year, which looks at uh, being alienated and looks at um, race and you know and it, it looks at racism, it looks at prejudice through this magical world. Mm. I think that film is beautiful and I love that a fantasy thriller horror thing, you mm. know, whatever the film is, it ex- ex- exists in so many worlds. I think that film winning best picture is an epic, beautiful thing. Mm. Compared to this, you go, you know, that film used so many different beautiful things to explore those themes um, well, the Academy doesn't always get it right. Remember Crash winning Best Picture? <laughs> I remember it winning. And can you can you think about the problematic race relations that that film has? Uh, having never seen it, no. Uh, <laughs> but I think, like most people, I haven't seen Crash. <laughs> ah, well, I recommend David Cronenberg's Crash. It's a much better film than the one that won Best <laughs> Picture. Um, before we uh, continue, I, I do want to give a shout-out uh, to um, Mahershala Ali, who obviously won um, Best Supporting Actor for, for this role, making it two years on the bounce. So, you know, that's a pretty good streak. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's... I, I, I was surprised, I guess, because of what the rest of the film was, just how good his performance was. Um, I I just really enjoyed it. I, just just from from a pure level, watching that man act and go, that man is acting very well right now. <laughs> it's very it was a, con, against Vigo's Vigo <laughs> against Vigo's big character as well. He he had so many little subtle beautiful. It's it's Pop. also a um, a really interesting man to play, um, and someone that they didn't didn't get much historical information about oh. mm. that they had to figure out um, as much as they could. 
and just the contradictory ideas that that real life human had in his life is something that's fascinating to see um, yeah. and to think about how how you would live that and how and then how he interprets that into a performance and it is riveting to watch. Mm. And he won. He won up against. Um, I, I'd say a pretty good lineup in terms of the um, other nominees that year. You had Adam Driver for Black Klansman, Sam Elliott for A Star Is Born, Rich D. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell for Vice. Um, but I, I would say that he probably deserved it mm. from that list. Um, it's a good list, but I think he definitely did the best. Vigo was actually nominated for Best Lead. Um, he didn't win because it went to Rami Malek for. Um, playing Freddie Mercury, but I, I think maybe he got it just for how much food he ate. Because I, I just keep going back to it. Might be because I'm on a diet at the moment. I don't know, but I kept see, watching the food. <laughs> yeah, scenes. it was lots of carbs as there well. Was, wasn't yeah, it? <laughs> I was like, when he just took that pizza and folded it in half, I was like, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that sometime, <laughs> but not anytime soon. Um, so was, 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 sorry, Robert. I just wanted to say. Um, there wasn't enough green book in it for me. So the, mm. the article I just read said the first major problem with the the movie is that it's called green book and they don't talk about the green book. They don't even I, mention I, what it means. No, that's it. It's like kind they of show it on the screen. Um, yeah, it's and, implied. It's like, ah, eh, don't worry about it. And what is it, what the relevance of it is to the story? It, it, that that is actually. I might I might have sounded facetious, but I'm I'm genuinely no, uh, annoyed agree. by the fact that there's not enough green book in the film. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. To be honest, it could have been called like the car or the road to Birmingham or yeah. um, don't throw Dropping that in the pizza boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't throw that KFC cup out the window. That's it. littering is bad. Yeah, it could have been called any number of things. I I also I, it's meant to again going going back to the topic. It's meant to represent. <laughs> something that they don't represent in the film. Mm. So maybe mm. it's like Alanis Morissette's Ironic. Yeah. Where mm. the only thing ironic about the song Ironic is that there's nothing ironic in it. Mm. This is the Alanis This is Morissette. the Alanis Morissette of oh, movies. Of, of Oscar winning movies. <laughs> um I will admit though. It's like I, this year's Joker. Oh. Ooh, I haven't ooh, seen it. Hot take. Oh, fuck Joker. Oh, is, it, is it your is it your La La Land? Mm-hmm. Or your hateful eight. That's my other one. You know, uh, well, like I said, I I didn't mind La La Land, and God, and nasty. Joker I think was average at best. But it's the thing where if something gets nominated mm. for best picture, and it's average at best, then I get angry at it, and then I hate it more than it probably deserves to be hated. Yeah. It's an okay film. That's why I hate La La Land. And that's that's exactly what this film is. And it's do you like, hate that your friends love it? As well, do you do you go? Well, not that they love it, but I hate like I don't so hate my I friends. I have I have friends that love it, and I have friends that hate it with a passion, uh, and I disagree with both of them. Okay, because you think it's average. Yeah, mm. I think it's I think it's mediocre, which is probably worse than hating it. Uh, see, I have I friends don't feel in the arts. Way about it. I have friends in the arts who love La La Land, and I get so upset by that because I think it's such a it shits on the arts. <laughs> like it's yeah. diarrhea shits on the arts mm. so much and it I makes me so in the upset arts that love the greatest showman and they should all be shot so like they don't know any but they're... the greatest showman doesn't 
tell you to be that being commercial is being a failure like La La Land does. That's the thing. I'm like, it actually talks about your industry in such a polarizing and negative way. And Maybe. you'd love that film. I mean, no, I've completely gone off topic. No, no, you're, you're bringing up I'm a so good point. Sorry. Maybe films aren't very good at representing entire industries of complex ideas in two hours. Maybe that is also part of the problem. I don't think, I disagree because, mm. again, going back to a film, trying to keep on topic here, yep. Get Out, <laughs> okay. I think, mm. does what this barely attempts to do mm. in two hours. Okay. I think Shape of Water does it beautifully yeah it maybe okay maybe uh, if i can rephrase that maybe it is harder to do it well than perhaps we can acknowledge Uh, so i i think this film also has um is hampered by another classic um best picture trope Mm. and that is that it's a true story right and they are it is it is actually a big disadvantage when you're trying to if you're if you're stuck trying to tell a true life story but also fit in a massive complex idea mm. it can be done for sure but if your focus is on telling a very dis, uh, a very straightforward road trip that goes from here with this relationship between two people to the end where they're all happy and they're they're friends and they've they've learnt a couple of nice little lessons. Mm. That's um So what if they just did that? What if they just did a story about the two of them and all of that stuff happened so like what if the story was just those two in the car and then you lost all of the attempts for, you know, heartstrings. We talked about Snowtown earlier because I watched that mm. the other night. I watched that last night and my favorite part about snow, it's about all these murders that happened, Mm. but the film's not about the murders at all. It's about the indoctrination of that boy that in that, in the house. So the murders become um, just disregarded. They're part of the story, but the main thing is about the psychological manipulation. What if this was a beautiful story about an Italian-American and an African-American getting to know each other and just, you know, having, you know, talking and what they learned from each other in those conversations. Then I would buy into the letter writing because it's probably true if it's, you know, if it's being taught. I would buy into Mm. those moments Mm. more than it just being a trope to make me go, oh. So I I agree. I I think they are trying to tell... The the focus is on the story, but this road trip story mm. and the relationship between these two are becoming friends and they tried to have their cake and eat it too by yeah. putting in these these issues but they unfortunately because the focus is on this relationship they don't have the time to adequately set up and explore a lot of very complex ideas which now makes it feel problematic because they're kind of just sidestepped in order to focus on the actual they're after they're afterthoughts i think their their thoughts of going well let's well we've got to talk about race because we have a black person so and we're going to the south and that's you know that's ultimately what they were hired to do but i just go you could there's so much to explore in not talking about it so let's get the other farrelly brother Mm. 
and we'll rewrite it. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll direct it and we'll make millions of dollars. So we'll, we'll get get rid of all the race relations complex ideas and focus on the character or we'll get rid of the character arc and focus no, entirely keep, on theme. You keep the character arc and use the character arc to hint at those things. They don't. You don't have to spell it out, you know, with odd moments here and there with like stopping with a and looking into a field of mm. slaves like you, you know mm. that sort of i don't think you need to show it like that it the best parts of this film was what you were taught the dialogue mm. between but only between been, those two there will also have been the most annoying parts to film as um yeah. the scenes in a car uh, <laughs> just nightmare well, nightmarish. And it, it's funny you should mention that because uh, we have a little section on this program where we delve into IMDb's trivia, and that might come up. Shit, that means we've talked heaps. Um, we're already there. Oh, we yeah, we we are. Sorry, we are well. No, no, no. It's oh, a podcast. Did I, I get rant? I got ranty. I can edit. I'm so sorry. We, we can go for as long as you want. I can, <laughs> I can trim. This is a okay. Um, would you guys like some trivia about Green Book? Yeah. For sure. All right, this trivia is sourced from IMDb, so if it's not true, don't blame me. Uh, The first one is to do with pizza. Specifically, the pizza scene is drawn from real life. The actual Nick Vallelonga, I I can't say it either, I'm just as bad as those people down south. Um, He basically said that his dad would order a whole unsliced pizza pie, fold it and eat it. Upon hearing the anecdote, Viggo Mortensen insisted they put it in the film. <laughs> uh, Peter Farrelly protested, saying they had enough funny eating scenes already, but agreed to try it. The crew burst out laughing, so he agreed to leave it in. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that would have been a, a fun day on set. Hmm. <laughs> Upon the film's release, the Shirley family objected to the truthfulness of the film. You'll be surprised to hear, oh. Tegan. Uh, claiming that Tony and Doc were not friends and that it was an employer-employee relationship. But in January of 2019, audio recordings of an interview with Don Shirley emerged in which he stated, quote, I trust him implicitly. You see, not only was Tony my driver, we never had an employer-employee relationship. You don't have time for that bullshit. Uh, my life was in that man's hands, so you've got to be friendly with one another, end quote. So... There, there was the family coming out and saying, that's not how it was. And then there is also an aspect of, well, maybe it wasn't like that. But it does seem at the very least that they were friends. And they the were fact friendly. That, well, friendly. Mm. That's not saying that they were buds. True. But. There was, there was, there was a, there was a friendly rapport. Still like, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, cause you can't have trust without that. So I, I mm. think that's, that's very interesting. Mm. But if they had the family, why didn't they talk to the family more about him as a per? Like, did the family not want to give that information? Um, as I understand he was an it, underwritten character that was beautifully perf- it was given life by the performance. As I understand it, from when I was going through the trivia stuff previously, um, they, I think they did not realize just how many members of his family were still around, because they they did. It looks it looks from the trivia. I also read the trivia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, but please, please add it in. Um, it, it looked like they, the family members that they did know, uh, were invited to early screenings and and were involved to some capacity oh, okay. because the 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 son still knew 
some of them, mm. but there were but other there were other family members that came right. out of the woodworks Fair after enough. the fact. Yeah, so they were like, oh, we didn't yeah. Know there so there was it. some connection with with um, the Shirley family, but it was literally just well, I only know these this Shirley, and then mm. some other Shirleys turned up and say, hey, don't do that, don't call the Shirley. And to be fair, it's not. It's more. It, it's the story of the dad of Tony Lip, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Prior to filming, Viggo Mortensen was interested to meet uh, the real family. Um, so he went over there and had a six-hour dinner <laughs> because, as, he, as you said previously, Italian families. That's what they do. Uh, according to Vigo, he said, quote, it almost destroyed me because I hadn't gained the weight yet. I hadn't expanded my stomach. It was almost lethal, end <laughs> quote. Uh, when the family assumed he was declining more helpings because he didn't like the food, he felt compelled to finish the plate. But every time he finished the plate, another one was brought out. Um, he then said, I said goodbye. We did a picture together. I limped into my rental car and I made a big show of, oh, I'm driving back to Manhattan. And then I drove around the corner, parked the car, leant back in my seat, undid my belt and just lay there for an hour, groaning. <laughs> So at some point you could have walked down the street and seen Viggo Mortensen beached inside a car just going. I like that ear pop he did when he was oh, lying in bed. Brilliant. That was hilarious. That was proper like gross dad yeah, stuff. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Uh, the real Tony Lip is better known for playing Carmine Lapatazzi on The Sopranos. So there you go. I read that. Yeah. I read a bit of trivia. Um she came pre-trived she did <laughs> um, also Nick Vallelonga pulled a fast one in hiring his real life family members to play the on-screen family members he let Vigo Mortensen believe that Peter Farrelly had cast them but suggested to Farrelly that Vigo had vouched for them as actors um, they did not find out until they were a month into the press tour <laughs> that that sounds authentic yeah That's to the, the characters that yeah. we saw <laughs> Pretty much. And also just, yeah, just the whole, uh, oh, I got your hat back. Like, yeah, he, definitely, definitely. Hmm. Making this film and going, oh, but I trust them implicitly. <laughs> the film is dedicated to Larry the Crow, a bird that hung around the shooting location. Viggo Mortensen cared for the animal after it was hit by a car. Oh, Just good guy Viggo Mortensen when Aww. it comes to the animals. Always, always doing his thing. Just like saying the N-word in interviews. He did apologise for that, though. I don't know the context of it. I just know. My understanding is that he was talking about the use of racial epithets and that Mm. language in relation to the film and said the N-word. And then, because he was saying it within the context of the thing, and then later, I think it was even the next day. taken out of context. Yeah, basically just went, yeah, turns out I can't even say that as a contextual thing, so Mm. my bad. That's what it's saying. I'm like, why would you go saying that after you've... Yeah, mm. made the worst film about it, but you've made it. You've yeah. made it. Uh, Viggo Mortensen also really did eat the hot dogs in the uh, Gorman scene. The production crew provided him with a bucket to do spit takes for the chewed up bits, but he found that less appealing than swallowing them. He ended up eating fifteen hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of, I mean, it That's looked disgusted mm. in those some of those takes. Like, mm. so I guess it worked. It's a pretty good effort. It's yeah. Oh god. How many could you eat? Uh, I did half of one this morning, and that was enough. <laughs> to be fair, it had a lot of cheese. Um. Thank you, IGA Wembley. <laughs> oh, I reckon I could do. I could probably do four. I've the... I've done four mm. before. I I made a 
I made myself a batch one night. I really wanted hot dogs. <laughs> I got wieners. I got the uh, pack of six. I made them all, sprinkled cheese on, tomato sauce. I ate four of them and left the other two and then never got back to them and tossed them. Yeah, I reckon I reckon at a push, maybe six. But the, the, like, the, I'd have to like have not eaten for the whole day, I think. To be fair, New York hot dogs are tiny as well. They're right. not... They're not like our massive Wendy's ones that we, right. you know, they're like mm. probably half the size. Oh, if it's one of them, then easily. You know, it, like the yeah. hot dog stand ones. Right. Um, they're smaller. Oh, I reckon I could get to a 10 then. Yeah. Let's not test that though, because that's gross. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> the last bit of trivia I had was relating to the um, the car point you were making earlier, oh. Robert. Uh, the director of photography, Sean Porter, found the on-location car work challenging. <laughs> uh, he said, quote, um, Ali and Mortensen have very different skin tones, so I had to create a base ambience that wouldn't change all that much, even as they drove in and out of sunlight on tree-lined rural roads. End quote. He used sky panels wired to a dimmer board to be able to change the exposure and colour temperatures on the fly. He and gaffer Scott Todd hid some LED fixtures in key places in the car, including one under the dash for Vigo, and some in the back to light up Ali. So, yeah. They they have put in a lot of work to make that look okay on screen. Yep. It, yeah, I I just watched those scenes and in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking, this is a nightmare. So much of this film is set in this confined space. Mm. Oh, it's, it's rough. You also had a point about aspect ratios that you mentioned before <laughs> that you wanted to bring oh. up. Oh, that is this is a whole can of worms. <laughs> but I, I do feel very passionately about this um and in this context we're watching it at home mm-hmm. um and that is different to seeing it in a cinema and uh so if you don't know the uh green book is shot in the universe something like that aspect ratio that is a ratio of two to one mm-hmm. um, most films are shot in an aspect ratio of 1.85 to one or 2.2 to one which is the typical widescreen format or the closer to 69 format right um, and the two to one aspect ratio is kind of a way of hedging your bets <laughs> it's it's in between it's not super wide as mm-hmm. in it's not super prestigious um at the same time it's not 169 it doesn't look like a tv show right um it's it's somewhere in between unfortunately the way that modern cinemas work is that dcps are provided uh digital um cinema packages um and the standards that the servers use are only for scope and for full height, um, which is the 185 ratio. Mm-hmm. So the only way of projecting a an aspect ratio of 2 to 1 is to add black bars in at the cinema. And in the old days, when um, projection was done with actual flesh and blood people in projection booths, <laughs> they could adjust the lenses, they could change the formatting, and they would even put in cards and um, oh. blockers to, to, to mask off 
um, films that were shot on 35 that were meant to be um, widescreen. Mm-hmm. But in this day and age where everything is automated, um, what it means is that if you see the film like I did in a cinema screen where the screen aspect ratio is formatted for 2.35 to 1, which is the wide aspect mm. ratio, yeah. Um, then if you watch a 1.85 film there, then just the edges are black, but the image covers the full height uh. of the screen. However, if you're watching a film that is this unfortunate ratio, what happens is you go to a cinema screen, you pay your money to see something on a nice giant screen, and you end up with big black space on the side, Mm -hmm. as well as black on the top and the bottom, and the picture projected in a a box that's sitting in the middle of the screen. And it really annoys me. So it's like watching it if you were Ned Kelly, basically. Just with a exactly. big, big thing on your head, little rectangle window. Yeah. It it feels cheap. It looks nasty. Some cinemas um, bring curtains in to mask off the edges. Okay. Um, and you've just got the slither of black on the top and bottom. I can deal with that. But most cinemas, they don't automate um, the curtains anymore. It's, it's too much effort. They mm. just have a standard set screen size and it's become a popular such a popular format in television that more and more films now are starting to go that way um and perhaps less people watch films in the cinema and more Mm. people watch them at home and at home it looks great but in the cinema and but in the cinema where i prefer to watch films Mm. and go to many times a week i dislike it immensely it's something that that i once you notice it, you can't not unnotice it. Mm. And it's something that plays in the back of my mind. It is a bit of a jip if you go to the, you know, that big screen experience at a movie mm. and then every all of a sudden there's a big black block around the, what you're the, watching. The, the, worst, the worst experience I had with it is um, I, I had waited a very long time to see Stanley Kubrick's epic... 2001 a space odyssey in the cinema it it is a classic it is a classic um and i was excited to experience this um this seminal film on the big screen Mm -hmm. and was extraordinarily (laughs) disappointed when i went and it was only showing in the smallest screen at my local cinemaplex um Understandably, because it is a very niche film that was only showing as a restoration release for mm. a week. Um, but then to have it in that small cinema also squished into a size that was pretty much the size of my home viewing <laughs> cinema was a little bit of a letdown. Yes. Speaking of letdowns, we do have to score this film. Uh, oh, we but, do. But yeah, yeah. So, Robert, just to ease you in nice and gently, we're going to let Tegan score first. The way that this works is we give it a, a score out of 10. So, one being, that's rubbish. 10 being, that's the best film. Or, like, that is my 10 out of 10. So, and these numbers, as we always say, they are entirely objective. They're just a bit of fun because ranking things is kind of just a bit of fun that we do. Um, but by all means, you may have a very different score, and that's okay. Um, Tegan? 
what, yeah. what what are you thinking for for green book what what would you give it out of 10 um i'm going to give it four rednecks with a knife out of 10 i mean they were they were good rednecks i think like, it was four of them as well so yeah. one one point for each of them yeah. um yeah i think well, I think I've said everything. I don't want to say it all again. <laughs> it's probably going to be quite a boring podcast of me white explaining white explaining films. So, but but the film did evoke these feelings from you. Yeah, and... I really struggle with this stuff, and yeah. I I think because from my personal views, I think you know we have a we me included. I don't. I don't ever want to insinuate that I am woke enough. To, I keep saying woke. I fucking hate that word. Yeah, I keep saying it. It's because you're teaching all the millennials oh, these days. Oh, gross. I don't ever want it, want it to seem like I'm, I feel like I'm enlightened enough to talk about racial issues. Like I don't mm. think, I don't think I have even have a right to talk about that stuff. I think there's, I, we have to learn. We're constantly having to learn mm. about this stuff when, because we have not experienced that. Mm. Um, um, I talk, and I say we, I mean, you know, collectively as a collective society. three white people in a room. Oh yeah, um, and white, pe- yeah, and white people. Um, and so I struggle with this because I think we need to take on every learning opportunity we can mm. when it comes to rectifying how we behave on a daily basis mm. and white privilege and that sort of stuff. Um, so I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to sit here and come across as, you know, speaking on behalf of the oppressed because mm. I don't, I don't think, I don't believe I, that is true. Mm. Um, but we, the movies like this, I think, set us back. See, Rob, it's that easy. What score are you going <laughs> to give Green so Book out of 10? I'm going to give it a six piece KFC feed <laughs> out of a bucket. Um, it, it did... Oh, that chicken looked good. I, again, it's the diet, but I was looking at it going, yes, please. That looked like good chicken. That's not like the KFC we get now. No, no, absolutely That chicken not. was good. Um, but about a six out of a bucket for you. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's a film. Yeah. It's it's one above super average. Okay. So it's like, it's good average. As in like, it's good quality average. It's, it's good. Still... Qu- that is a good quality average movie. Yeah. For me. I would also have to agree with you. Um, I, I'd, I'd have to give it um, six stones that Vigo put on <laughs> out, out of ten. It's a... I did like that yeah. scene. That was really fun. Yeah. The, and the then Jason. when you saw the stone later, that was really cute. I thought that was... Yeah. And that's just it. This film has these moments. And that's partly why I think it's a six for me. It has these moments where it's like, that's charming. Those performances are good. And it's well made. And it's well made. Uh, but then there's all the problems around the fact that I, I agree. I, yeah. I don't think again it's... keep it about the characters because mm. that was that was a part of the characters that was mm. yeah that was buddy cop stuff. Yeah. You know, was... The the main Classic. thing is they tried and they won an Oscar for it. So <laughs> they oh. they did they oh god they really did. Guess what, guys? This episode is coming out the week of the Academy Awards, oh, and man. oh man, I would like. To ask you oh, who God. you think is... What film are we going to be watching this time next year? So last year, uh, when we did Shape of Water, um, I would like to point out that I did guess Green Book. Oh. Um, oh. But 
I only guessed it in a very flippant way where after we've made our serious guesses, I then went and then watches Green Book wins it. And indeed. <laughs> so I, I just want to know which of the following films you think is likely to win Best Picture. Likely, so not yeah. what we want to win. You can throw in what you want to win, but oh, absolutely man. mention oh, it. But, but I'd like you to know, I'd like you to say who you think will win. We'll start with you, Tegan. Here is the list of films. Okay. 1917, mm-hmm. Ford versus Ferrari, Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Parasite, The Irishman, Little Women, Jojo Rabbit, and Marriage Story. They are the nine nominees for Best Picture. Um, I think The Irishman will win. Oh. <laughs> no? Uh. You're getting this... <laughs> No. You think Netflix? You think they'll let Netflix win a Best Picture Oscar? Well, it was at the f- movies as well. I know it was a Netflix produced, but Scorsese. And I know that he's been snubbed a lot as well. But yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. Mm. I think I would be comfortable with it winning. Mm. Um. Uh. If Marriage Story wins, I'll be annoyed. Mm. Um. What would you like to win? If you, if you think the Irishman's going to win, what would you like to win? There are many things. I'd like to... I'd like... I mean, my friend is Charlie Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, <laughs> so it'd be cool to see him winning an Oscar, sort of. Mm. Um, <laughs> hi, Damon. Um, um, he was Charlie Manson in Mindhunter as well. He's getting typecast as it's Amazing. As That's Manson. some amazing typecasting. Isn't that hilarious? If you're playing the same person. I know. He's such a sweet heart. <laughs> It's yeah, really that, funny. That's how he gets you. Yeah. Ah, no! <laughs> oh, swastik. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, he... That would be... But then it's Tarantino. Look, for every Tarantino, there's a Damien. Yeah, so, that, yeah. You, you've got to have the good with the bad. I, I Irishman. All right, Rob. I would be happy for that to win, and I, and I think it could win. All right, Robert. Um, what do you think is going to win? What do I think is going to win? See, this is, drives me nuts every year because I'm always way off base. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know the Academy loves movies about movies. Mm-hmm. And Tarantino has a very good shot, I think. Um, but, oh, I'm going to be so wrong here, but I'm just going to say it because I want to put it out there into the world. The same way that Green Book won, I feel, by being everyone's second favourite. <laughs> I think I think my favourite film of the year um, could be everyone's second favourite. <laughs> at least controversial choice. Yep. And I, I, uh, it would be crazy. Um, God, the suspense is actually killing me. But if Parasite wins, mm. I will jump for joy and i think it i think it actually surprisingly has a good shot which would be cool it would it be won. amazing i mm. haven't seen it but i really want to see it it's yeah it was it, my favorite film from the last three years mm. wow all right cool yeah that would be fun and it'd be nice it could because um the them winning the golden globe the, no they they just won the sag, SAG for right. the um Best Ensemble Actors mm-hmm. um, and they won over Jojo Rabbit and they won over Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's well, because of Rebel Wilson and Jojo Rabbit. If he wasn't <laughs> in it, they would have won. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, yeah, mm-hmm. um, just th- there has been a lot of love for that film. Um, but 
have, if not that, it's got best foreign film in the bag. So mm. I'm, I am very excited by that. But the idea of a foreign film winning best picture is so exciting to me. Is <laughs> it was Life Is Beautiful the last one that won? I don't know off the top of my head. But I can't think of any since possibly. then. So I, I'd I probably say that's the case. For me, um, I I have actually not seen any of the films uh, that have been nominated. Um, I'm writing a PhD. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> so, yeah. I've, I've not been to the cinema that much. Uh, also, the only films I watch are for this program. So <laughs> they, they're all usually at least 20 years old. But um, my suspicion, if, if I was to pick based on purely the film that I've heard people talk about the most, that they've really enjoyed and been impressed by i i would say that 1917 would be the one that i think would win it i also think it would have been my second pick i i think it's one that could do well on the second picks yeah. as you say going on your theory mm. it would be it would be comfortable mm. i mean definitely definitely pretty mm. incredible what they've done so what was a just to sum up we are predicting uh, I can't remember. <laughs> I said once said, upon a time, didn't you? Yeah, no, you said the no, Irishman. no, no. I said the Irishman. Yeah. Irishman. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm going out on a limb with Parasite. <laughs> All right, and I'm going to say 1917. What do we win? Uh, well, let's say that we get to win the right to never watch Green Book again. I guess who are the wins? Oh, oh. So good. Or I'll, I'll just try and craft like a tiny Academy Award out of something. Yes. Out of chocolate. Yes. Out of caramel. Oh, yeah, we'll make a caramel chocolate. A caramel Oscar. But yes, so they are our... Caramosca. Suge- Caramosca. Mm. So they're the films that we think have a chance. So join us next year when we're watching Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> what even is that? Is that a doco? No, it's a, the true story of, of Ford building a car to take on Ferrari in the Grand Prix. Oh. And Matt... Damon and um, Christian Bale and, and the people and I've seen it and it was fine. Mm. <laughs> eh. That brings us to the end of this uh, podcast. Tegan and Robert, thank you very much for joining me on the Cinema Catch-Up Club. You are thank welcome. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it very muchly. Excellent. <laughs> we'll get you back on again then. Yay. For those of you listening at home, thank you very much for listening in. Guess what? We have what a Facebook. What? What? Some Patreon. What? what? A way to subscribe. They're the things you need to know. How? Oh, well, the internet, of course, dummy. Uh, What's that? <laughs> oh, I'm not explaining that one. Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, we can be found in so many ways. Uh, we can be found uh, on Facebook. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Like us there. Leave us messages, whatever you like. We can also be found on Patreon. Become an official member of the club. Uh, you know, vote, suggest things. Give us money. They're all fun activities. Do that. Uh, And of course, uh, if you just want to listen to the episodes as they come out each and every week, subscribe. We're on Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes. We're just just anywhere you can get a podcast. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club there. But that's all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. Bye-bye. See ya.
You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.